Well, a blessed new year to each and every one of you. Uh, my wife and I and our son and our daughter give you our love in Christ. We're so appreciative of each and every one of you. And this morning's sermon is entitled uh, Highway 2016, What's Ahead? It's going to be a fast-moving sermon. I encourage you to fasten your seatbelts and we'll land this plane safely. Of course, our great God is revealing. He's revealed himself in his word. He is also transcendent. He is over time. God stands over time. Everything in the past, everything in the present, everything in the future, God hovers over that. But God is equally imminent. He is in history. He is in our lives. He is in our church. God is both transcendent over time and in time. He is imminent. He is sovereign. God is not wringing his hands in heaven in a reactionary manner to anything that happens in your life, to anything that happens in the Bahamas, to anything that happens in his world. God is sovereign on the throne. God is omnipotent. All power that exists, God has in an unlimited manner to unfold his plan and purpose and decree. God is orderly. He is not willy-nilly. He is not, in a sense, unpredictable when he has shown us what he is going to do, what is ahead for the world. This means that history is a pointed arrow toward a goal of consummation that God has dictated from eternity past. History is not some random piece of art with brushstrokes in no uh, understandable place on the canvas. History is his story. History is his story. 2016, what's ahead? God tells us in his word what is ahead. I want to share with you six prophetic future end time events in a very fast fashion. Six future prophetic end time events I want to share with you. Now, the Bible doesn't give me the dates for these events. But instead, the Bible gives me the events and gives me the order in which they will take place. We might think of it this way. We might not know the exact date that winter temperatures in the Bahamas will rise to spring temperatures and then to summer temperatures, but we do know that those temperatures will rise. We know that spring always follows winter. We know that summer always follows spring. We know that fall comes after summer, and we know that winter comes after fall. In the same way, these six prophetic future end-time events, they're going to happen. I don't know the dates. And they're going to happen in the order that I'm going to share with you this morning. So what's next? Highway 2016, what is next? Six future prophetic end time events. Ready? Number one, the rapture. Second, the tribulation. Third, the second coming. Fourth, the millennium. Fifth, the great white throne judgment. And sixth, the eternal state. I'm going to unpack these individually. Again, I'm going to move fast. The rapture is the next prophetic event that we look forward to. There is no prophecy in Scripture that has yet to be fulfilled before the rapture can occur. What is the rapture? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to move around the Bible a lot. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the rapture. It's a catching up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. 
But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, alive and remain shall be caught up, there it is, caught up, rapturio in Latin, be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. The next prophetic future event that's on the horizon is the rapture of the church, a catching up. I firmly believe, as you go with me to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, I firmly believe that this rapture of the church is imminent. It's an anytime event, and it will occur before the tribulation. Revelation 3, verse 10. Speaking to the church at, at Philadelphia, a historic church, the word of God speaks to that church and to us by extension in, in Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Kept from in the Greek means kept from. It doesn't mean ushered through with protection. It means kept from that hour of testing. The hour of testing is the future seven years of God's judgment called tribulation. I believe this catching up of believers, the next event in the prophetic calendar, the rapture of the church, will happen before the seven years of tribulation. To reinforce that belief, when you look at the whole book of Revelation, the word church is not mentioned in Revelation chapters 4 through 19. Revelation chapters 4 through 19 give us the chronicle details of the future judgments of the tribulation seven years on earth. The word church does not appear once in Revelation chapters 4 all the way through 19. No, there's a bracket of when the term church does appear in the book of Revelation. It appears in chapter 3 verse 22 and then not again until chapter 22 verse 16. It's like brackets. God mentions the church before the tribulation. God mentions the church after the tribulation. There's no mention of the church during the judgments of the tribulation being predicted. We will be raptured before the rapture of the church. And that rapture, going with me to 1 Corinthians 15, I told you we're going to move fast. 1 Corinthians 15 will happen lightning quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, looking at verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning at verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That's a euphemism for death. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed at the rapture. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. The rapture of the church will bring about a change that is so quick, it's called the twinkling of an eye. We'll be airlifted out of planet Earth so quickly, it's called the twinkling of an eye. A medical doctor told me that the twinkling of an eye, scientifically, is three-sixteenths of one second. Bang. Out of here. Jesus Christ predicted the rapture of the church. In his remarks before the cross, in John 14, we read Jesus Christ's prediction of this 
rapture in verses 2 and 3, he said to his disciples, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing right now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself in that home he's preparing in heaven, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, the rapture and the second coming of Christ are two distinctly different events. They are separated from each other by seven years of tribulation. People that I work with over the years, 30 years of pastoring, many believers mix up the rapture and the, the second coming. They think they're the same thing, or they attribute scriptures that are rapture scriptures to the second coming, or second coming scriptures to the rapture. Here's some of the ways that the rapture and the second coming of Christ are different. First of all, in the rapture, Christ comes only to earth's atmosphere. In the second coming, Christ comes and touches down on earth at the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem. In the rapture, it's only for believers. It's a return only for believers. In the second coming, Christ comes for all persons of the earth to set up his kingdom. The rapture will be quick, the twinkling of an eye. The coming of Jesus Christ a second time will be slow. He will descend visibly, uh, bodily, slowly, such, such that the globe will see him returning. The rapture can be uh, missed. People cannot notice it. We can be gone in, in a twinkling of an eye and people don't even notice we're missing maybe for hours or days or weeks. The return of Jesus Christ, the second coming, will not be missed by anybody on earth. The rapture of the church is an up and out event. The second coming is a forward and into the kingdom event. They're different comings of Christ separated by seven years. That segues into the second prophetic future end time event I want to share with you. After the rapture of the church comes the tribulation. It will be seven literal years of unprecedented judgment and wrath of God on sin. You have the question, how long will people get away with their atrocities until the tribulation? It'll be a future time of intense judgment of God. Revelation chapters 4 through 19 give us great detail of what those judgments of God will look like in that seven-year tribulation. And again, the church is not mentioned in any of the verses of chapters 4 through 19. The church will not be in the tribulation. In that time of future tribulation, there will be an emergence of a blasphemous antichrist. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In this future seven years of tribulation, there will be emerging a blasphemous antichrist, a literal person. And we see of his emergence predicted in Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5. Now I re we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Somebody had told the Thessalonian Christians they'd missed the rapture. They had been left behind. That was not the case. Verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy, falling away from the truth, the apostasy comes first. And here it is, the man of lawlessness. That's a synonym name for the Antichrist. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, another name for Antichrist, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God, 
Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? At the midpoint, three and a half year point of the seven years of tribulation, Antichrist will erect an image, a bust statue of himself in the Holy of Holies in the, re, in the reconstituted temple in Jerusalem and demand worship as God. It's called the abomination of desolation. The first half of the seven years of tribulation will be intense judgment, but the second half after that abomination of desolation will be intense judgment called the great tribulation. So in this tribulation, seven years, future, the church not being a part of it, an emergence of a blasphemous antichrist, and then a judgment of God by subtraction or withdrawal. The Holy Spirit and his influence will be withdrawn during that seven-year period because the church of Jesus Christ, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We will be airlifted away en masse. And so the restraining work of the Holy Spirit will be taken away as a judgment during the tribulation. See that with me in the same chapter, 2 Thessalonians 2, beginning at verse 6. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. That's when we're raptured. And then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders. Verse 10, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence. In the tribulation, the Holy Spirit of God will be withdrawn as a judgment and God will send a deluding influence. It will be possible to be saved in the tribulation, but it will be despite a deluding influence. Verse 12, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. When will bad guys get their comeuppance? In the seven years of tribulation and what a comeuppance they will get. First prophetic end times future event we look to is the rapture of the church, the catching up. The second is the tribulation, seven years of intense judgment of God. There will be converts in the seven years of tribulation, but they will die a martyr's death because they will not take the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? It's called 666 in Revelation. I don't exactly know what it is, but I know they're putting computer chips subcutaneously in dogs to find them with global positioning devices. And I know they're putting uh, chips in humans under the skin. Maybe that's part of it. But those who come to saving faith in Christ in that future tribulation will die a martyr's death. Revelation 6, 9, 7, 9, 7, 13 to 15, and 7, verse 16. And Jesus, of course, predicted the, tri the, tri the tribulation. He did so in Matthew 24, 15 to 22. I won't have time to read all those verses, but you might want to jot them down. Jesus predicted the tribulation in Matthew 24, 15 to 22. Among other things, he said, when Christ takes the church out, and the tribulation comes upon the world, pray that it's not on a Sabbath because the elevators on the Shabbat in Israel don't run in the hotels. Public transit doesn't run in, in Israel on the Shabbat. Jesus said, when the tribulation wrath of God is poured out, pray that you're not pregnant with a baby because you won't be able to get out of town fast enough. Jesus alluded to this seven years of tribulation in Matthew 24, 15 to 22. So we've seen a rapture, that's what's next. I don't know when, but it's next. 
Could happen before the service lets out. There's no prophecy yet to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. Second event after the rapture is the seven years of tribulation, literal seven years. The third event that happens is the second coming of Christ. The second coming of Christ will end the seven years of tribulation and begin the thousand-year literal rule and reign of Jesus Christ on earth. What do we know about the second coming? We know that it doesn't equal the rapture. The rapture is taking the church out, so there's seven years of tribulation. The second coming ends the seven years of tribulation to begin the thousand-year reign and kingdom of God on earth. So what is the second coming? It's not the rapture. In the rapture, there's no battle. At the second coming, there's a battle. At the rapture, there's no horse. At the second coming, Christ rides in on a white horse. At the rapture, people will be ushered into judgment of the tribulation on earth. At the second coming, Jesus Christ will usher in peace on earth, goodwill to men, the Prince of Peace. At the rapture, it will come with stealth like a thief in the night. At the second coming, Jesus Christ will come with visible, audible wrath against sin. The rapture kicks off a seven-year period, whereas the second coming of Christ kicks off a thousand-year period. The rapture does not equal the second coming. They're different events, two returns of Christ. The second coming of Christ will happen as you go with me to Acts chapter 1. The second coming of Christ will come after the pattern of his ascension after resurrection. And how was Jesus ascended? I'll read it for you. Acts 1, 6 through 11. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the uttermost part of the earth. How will Jesus Christ return the same way that he ascended? He will return bodily. He will return visibly. He will return personally. He will return with clouds. In the same way that he was ascended, we're told he will return to earth. What do we know about the second coming event? Go with me to Revelation 19, the principal chapter in the word of God depicting the second coming return of Jesus that precludes and ushers in the millennial kingdom. Revelation 19, starting at verse 1. After these things, I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. I'll interject. This is depicting, describing the second coming of Christ. And verse 6. And I heard, as it were, the loud voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. He was worshiping an angel. And he said to me, Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Whatever happens in 2016, church, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is a spirit of prophecy. And I saw the heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. And his eyes are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he might smite the nations, and he will rule them with an, a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in the midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast. And the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat upon the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh." That's the second coming. Will you notice that Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, does not need scud missiles to do that? He does not need nuclear bombs to do that. He needs no man-made artillery or weaponry. Christ doesn't even need his own army that comes behind him on white horses. Jesus Christ simply speaks, and total victory at the Battle of Armageddon is won. Jesus Christ, by the word of his mouth, the same word that created everything that's been created, by the word of his mouth, he decisively wins the Battle of Armageddon, and we watch. When he does, it issues in the next future end time prophesied event. A happy time, a renaissance of planet Earth called the millennium. It's a thousand years, literal, a thousand years. It's re thousand years is repeated four times in Revelation 20, verses 1 to 7. Listen. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and the great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, that's Satan, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, number one, threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him that he could not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years, second time mentioned, were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Verse four, and I saw thrones and they, that sat upon them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand. 
and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There's the third mention of a thousand. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Fourth mention of a thousand. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's the fifth mention of a thousand years. Don't say it's not literally a thousand years. And don't say it's a kingdom in your heart only. It's an earthly kingdom that lasts a thousand years. During this wonderful time when Jesus Christ sits on David's literal throne in Jerusalem, suppressing evil with omniscience, justice, righteousness, and force, he will rule with an iron scepter. He came the first time as the lamb for sinners slain. He comes the second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah with an iron scepter to forcibly suppress sin and evil in his kingdom while it's on earth for a thousand years. You read about that in Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. And so for a thousand years, aren't you looking forward to this? For a thousand years, earth will be a Satan-free zone. He'll be in jail. He can't delude anyone. For a thousand years, when Christ reigns over his kingdom, earth will be a Satan-free zone. God will see to that. And then it says that after the thousand years, God will release Satan from the abyss. Why? He looked good in that abyss. Why will God release him? Oh, because God finishes what he starts. And God will not have anyone from hell saying, you only won because you put him in a prison. God will not have anybody in hell making that allegation to God. So God releases Satan from the pit after the thousand years. The other thing that God does by releasing Satan from that pit that he was in for a thousand years, God shows that the human problem is not a heart problem, or excuse me, is a heart problem. It's not a bad neighborhood problem. Do you know the problem in the Bahamas? It's not bad neighborhood. It's not even broken homes. It's not even poor education. It's not anything. It's the heart. It's deceptive, it's deceitful, and it's increasingly wicked. The heart that needs Christ. Christ is the answer for the Bahamas. We need to love the lost to Christ. We need to open our mouths and share the way of salvation with our fellow countrymen. Jesus loves these rebels. Jesus loves these that are murdering. Jesus loves these reprobates. He loved us, didn't he? Are we any better? No. And so God will release Satan for a time after a thousand years because he finishes what he starts and he proves decisively that the human problem is a heart problem and not a bad neighborhood problem. And we see in verses 7 and 8 of Revelation 20 the following, and when the thousand years are complete, that's the sixth mention of a thousand years, and when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. That's what Satan does. He majors in deception. He will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Now watch this. Jesus Christ has been ruling in righteousness and suppressing evil. Satan's been in a jail for a thousand years. And at the end of the thousand years, Jesus releases Satan. He says, who wants to take out Christ? Who wants to have him overturned as king of the world? And people are so willing to do that, they're innumerable. They're more than the sands of the seashore. The problem is the heart, not the environment. The problem is the human heart, not the environment. 
And then Satan comes out of that, summons who wants, those who want to take out Christ. More, more that can be numbered to say that I'll take out Christ with you. Let's do that. The millennium ends with one final battle when God, the triune God, sends fire from heaven and it's over. Revelation 29 and 10. And when they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Game over. Checkmate. Verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Rapture. Tribulation, second coming, millennium, great white throne judgment. There will be a great white throne judgment that Revelation 20, 11 to 15 tells us about. It's for the unbelieving, those Christ rejectors of all eras, of all epochs of human history. Believers like us will not be at the great white throne judgment because our condemnation and sentence was paid by Christ. We're exempt from the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, listen, perhaps the most sobering passage of all of the Bible, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment church, the judge Jesus Christ who is the, at that great white throne judgment is so intimidating that the current earth and heaven have to take off from his presence. They have to run away from him. That's why we need a new earth and a new heaven that it talks about in Revelation 21 verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. Jesus Christ is such an intense and intimidating judge that a sin-corrupted, sin-fallen world and heaven have to run away from his presence and we get a new heaven and a new earth. The great white throne judgment for all the unbelieving of all the eras. Key words in the, the verses I've just read. The dead. This is only the unredeemed, unsaved dead. The dead are mentioned three times, four times in that passage. Twice in verse 12 and twice in verse 13 it mentions the dead. And then books, plural, more than one book is mentioned in verse 12. It's a book of evil deeds done, a book of evil thoughts thought, a book of evil words spoken. It's a book. Imagine. Does Jesus Christ need to keep a book so he is reminded of what a person did? He's omniscient. He has a book to prove to the person he's sentencing to the lake of fire what the problem was. The 
books that recall, recall every individual unredeemed person's life of evil deeds done, words spoken, thoughts thought. It's proof that they are reasonably, justly sent to hell. It says there's a book of life. In contrast to these books of evil, there is a book of life mentioned in verse 12 and in verse 15. It too is proof. It is proof that your name, if you are saved, is in the book of life. And if anybody objects at the great white throne judgment to Jesus and says, what about Sally Brown? Jesus can say her name's in the book of life, see? It says that every one of them will appear before the judgment, the great white throne judgment. Every one of them. No one gets a note from home. No one has a sick leave. No one is on sabbatical. No one is on vacation. All of the unbelieving of all the eras of human history stand individually before Jesus Christ as judge as the great white throne judgment. And we are told in this passage that they are judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. There are degrees of punishment in hell. There will be punishment for everyone who's in hell, but there will be degrees of punishment in hell. Adolf Hitler, serial killers, child rapists. There will be degrees of punishment in hell. Every one of them, all of redeemed, none excused, will be judged according to their deeds as recorded in the books. And then it mentions the second death. The second death is the lake of fire. The second death is hell. People who would have you believe there's no such thing as hell are either ignorant or they're lying. There's a hell. Jesus said a lot about hell. He doesn't want anybody to go there. He doesn't want anybody in the sound of my voice to go to hell because he's loving. Have you trusted him to be your savior? I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm not talking about your uncle or aunt or your children, your grandfather, your grandmother. Have you trusted Jesus Christ to be your savior? If you don't, you go to hell. The second death. Death is separation. The first death is physical death. When a person physically dies, that's the first death. The second death is the resurrected person being separated from God forever in a place the Bible calls hell. That's the second death. The second death is a much bigger problem than the first death. There's a saying that I really like. Born twice, you die once. Born once, you die twice. If you're only physically born and not reborn as a believer, you are born once, but you have to die twice. But if you're born twice, if you're born again spiritually, if you're born twice, you only have to die once, which is physical death. Born twice, die once. Born once, die twice. The sixth and final, no, excuse me, the fifth and final event I want to share with you is the eternal state. We have rapture. We have tribulation, we have second coming, we have millennium, we have great white throne judgment, and it is six. I just uh, numbered it wrong. The sixth and final event I want to share with you is what the Bible shares. We call it the eternal state. The eternal state. The eternal state is also known as the new heaven and the new earth. What it's going to be like forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and just keep going evers without end after the first five prophetic future end time events I've taught you, then we get an eternal state that never, ever, ever ends, never, ever changes. 
stable, holy, perfect. We read about this new heaven and this new earth or this eternal state in Revelation 21, 1-7. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning, M-O-U-R-N, mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away, and he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to those who thirst from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And if you read through the remainder of chapter 21 of Revelation and all of chapter 22, you will find out more about the eternal state the new heaven and new earth, such as you will find out that the throne of God and of the Lamb are central to this place. There will be no tears. There will be no death. There will be no pain. There will be no sin. There will be no curse. No funeral directors. No police. No firefighters. At least doing those roles. There will be beauty. Unspeakable beauty. Unparalleled, unprecedented beauty. There will be safety. No locks. When I get into this building on a Monday morning, I have so many keys. <laughs> it's unbelievable. This is like Fort Knox. There will be no key rings in heaven. Jesus has the key. No locked doors. No safes. No security companies. No alarms. In that future eternal state, the new heaven and the new earth, There'll be no temple because God will be the temple. There'll be no sun. There'll be no moon. There'll be no night because God will be the light of the eternal state. There will be a river of water, a river of water of life, and there'll be streets of gold, and there'll be a tree of life. Do you remember the tree of life in Genesis 3? After Adam and Eve fell into sin, God stationed a cherubim angel by the tree of life to prevent those sin-fallen disobedient first two humans from getting to the tree of life because if they would have eaten when they were in that estrangement and alienation with God by their sin, they would have been perpetually alienated from God. There would have been no hope of redemption for anybody else after them, their progeny. And so God in Genesis 3 sets a flaming sword and a cherubim angel to guard Adam and Eve from partaking of the tree of life, but how different it is at the end. At the end, that same tree of life will be in heaven, in the eternal state, and we'll have access to it. Because we will have eternal life through Christ. Here's something that I learned after many years of studying the scriptures that I missed. You hear people say there'll be no time in heaven. I don't believe that's true. I believe there will be time in heaven, but there'll just be unlimited time. There will be unlimited time. Why do I say that? Look at Revelation 22, verse 2. And in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river, was the tree of life. There it is. The tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Oh, there are months in heaven. That's time, right? There'll be time in heaven. Unlimited time. Never-ending time. You'll never be crunched for time. You'll never be running behind. 
I'll resist the temptation there. <laughs> Unlimited time in this eternal state. Now you say, Pastor Rob, I'm exhausted just listening to you. Well, that's good because I'm exhausted saying it. What do we take away from this church? Is this just cerebral? Is this just uh, academic? No. Why does God give us a Highway 2016? Why does God bother to reveal with specificity what he's going to do? Not the dates. I don't know when he's going to do it. But why does he bother to give us these six events, to tell us what they are, to describe them to us, to give us the order in which they'll take place? Why? Because he loves us. He wants us to know that he's in control despite NB12 news. He's in control despite ISIS and terrorism and all the heinous things that are going on in the world, despite the droughts, the earthquakes, the tornadoes, the hurricanes, despite all of it, God's in control. What? How can God give us these six events in their order and not be in control? Because we're going to see them take place. So what do we take away? Ladies, what do you stuff in your purse at the end of this sermon? Men, what do you stuff in your wallet? Young person, what do you put in your golf shirt pocket? What difference does this make? What difference does knowing these six events that are going to happen and the order in which they're going to happen, what difference does it make? How does it change life? Here's how. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I implore you to trust him to be your Savior this morning. You don't know that you have this afternoon. You could step out of Collins Avenue and get hit by a taxi. You could die in your sleep. You don't know that you have tomorrow. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, make that right. Trust him. Turn from sin and self and Satan to the Savior in faith. Don't delay. It says in Revelation 22 a very interesting thing. In Revelation 22, 11, it says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. They'll be sinning in hell. There will be sinning in hell. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and let the one who is filthy still be filthy. No one will reform in hell. No one will say, boy, I had that wrong. Wish I could do a mulligan on that, do that. No, there won't even be that spirit. The person who rebels against Jesus while alive on earth will still rebel against Jesus in hell. The person who lives a filthy, immoral life will still live a filthy, immoral life in hell. You want to avoid that. First takeaway is if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, receive him by faith right now. You can say, Lord, I need you to be my Savior. I trust you and only you to give me forgiveness in heaven. Make me new this new year. Amen. He'll hear you. He'll save you. I'd love to talk to you after if you do that, if you've done that. The second takeaway to put in your purse or your golf shirt or your wallet is to review this plan. Write it down. Get, the, get on the webpage. See this sermon again. Write down these six events if you haven't noted them on your note sheet. Review this when bad news comes down the pike in 2016. Have it written out on a paper on your refrigerators or men, the mirror you shave at or women, the mirror you do your makeup. Have this in front of you in 2016. This is what's ahead. This is Highway 2016. Review it. Meditate on it. Live in light of it. This sermon title is What's Next? Not a question mark. This sermon's title is What's Next? Exclamation mark. Receive Christ if you've never been saved. Review God's plan, which is rapture, tribulation, second coming, millennium, great white throne judgment, and eternal state. And third, rest. 
Didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Rest. Rest in God's control to bring to pass his plan. Rest. If anybody on this island should be able to legitimately rest, it's us. Rest in peace. Not when we're dead. Rest in peace while we're alive. Because he's in control. He's got the plan. Number four, resist doubt and fear in the here and now. Resist doubt and fear in the here and now. Peter could walk on water as long as he looked at Jesus' face, but as soon as he looked at the waves, he sunk. When we take our view off of Jesus as being king of history, as being the controller of these six future events, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we're going to sink into circumstances. People say to me when I say, how are you doing? Pretty good under the circumstances. I ask them, what are you doing under the circumstances? Get above them. Get above your circumstances. And last, to review, receive Christ now, review God's plan, rest in God's control, resist doubt and fear, and last, church, reach the lost. Reach the lost with the gospel. Do you have someone who sleeps in the bed beside you that's going to hell if nothing changes? Do you have children who are off at college or who are in school or growing up with their own families that are going to hell except they trust Christ before they die? Do you have coworkers who may have the glassed corner office where you work, have it all together from the world's point of view? Are they going to hell without Christ? Yes, they are. It doesn't matter socioeconomic bracket, education, sophistication. Share your faith. Share your faith. Last thing I'll say. God willing, if Christ doesn't come back first, March 9th through 13th are going to be very special days for our assembly. March 9th through 13th, we're welcoming a very capable speaker. He's going to speak to prophecy and to missions. He's going to speak to the prophetic calendar and what we see taking place in world news and how it fits the prophetic calendar. And he's going to mesh that together with the missions mandate to take the gospel to the world. It's going to be an excellent conference. Jimmy DeYoung from the Radio Bible Class will be our teacher March 9th to 13th. He's been here before. Mark those dates in your calendar. Don't take your vacation then. Don't go shopping in Florida then. Don't get sick then. March 9th to 13th, the Lord willing. Please stand with me for prayer. Lord, we thank you that you're in control, that you are proactive and not reactive. We thank you that graciously you told us, tell us what's going to happen. You didn't have to do that, but you told us for reasons. Help us to take up on what you've told us and not to lightly or soon forget it. Do the changes in the man in the pulpit you want done. Do the changes in the man on the platform you want done. And do the changes you want done in each pew seat. That you be honored and glorified in all. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake and God's church said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated.